Well, this is the second Sunday of Advent, and um, we're going to be right there where we were with the kids. It's going to be our text today that we're going to start out with, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. So remember last week, we, we talked about Advent is about the coming of Christ, and so this second week, is we're still talking about the coming of Christ, but not as much in a general sense. Now we're going to get a little bit more specific, and we're going to talk about the kingdom of the Messiah. The kingdom of the Messiah. The season of Advent is the season to celebrate and to proclaim the coming of Christ. Now see, a lot of people at, last night at the Christmas parade, they were waiting for Santa Claus to come. And they went into Santa's house, and they lined up. And, you know, that's, that's all fun, and that's all fine. St. Nicholas was a real person. You know, he gave witness to the Savior. Um, we, we show, we've shown it the last two years, and I don't know if we'll show it this year, but there's a movie called Saving Christmas. And every believer, everyone who professes to believe in Jesus should watch that movie. I'm telling you, every person who professes to believe in Jesus should watch the movie Saving Christmas. It's a funny, but it's a very educational and instructional movie about why we should celebrate Christmas. Why we should have Christmas trees and ornaments and food and feasting and fun and fellowship. Because we are celebrating the coming of the Savior. The greatest gift ever given. God gave it. What value can you put on Jesus? You can't. He is priceless. This is what Christmas is about. Christmas isn't about Santa Claus. Christmas is about Jesus. We can have Santa Claus, but only as Santa Claus is about Jesus. We only give gifts because God gave gifts first. We teach our kids that in words to live by. We give gifts because God gave gifts first. Isn't that right, kids? Yeah. Why do we give gifts? Because he gave them first. That's right. That's the whole reason we give gifts at Christmas. Because God gave gifts first. So we see throughout the scripture the promise of the coming Messiah. The nation of Israel looked for the coming of their Messiah. And that Messiah came with the birth of the Savior, that babe in the manger who is the King and the Lord of glory. Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. He has come in his first incarnation, the suffering servant, and he is coming again in his final Coming, he's coming, he'll come to this earth, he'll set foot on this earth, but he's coming not as a babe, not as a suffering servant, he's coming again as the ruling and reigning king to ultimately and to finally put all of his enemies under his feet, especially the last enemy, which is death. And that's good news, not only for the Jew, but it is good news for all nations and all peoples of the earth. On this second Sunday of Advent, we're going to look at God's promise given through the declaration of the prophets, including John the Baptist. He was an Old Testament prophet. 
and the writings of the Old and the New Testament that proclaim God's kingdom and God's salvation is not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile. Indeed, the good news of the Messiah and his kingdom is for the whole world. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, Jew or Gentile, black or white, male or female, young or old, rich or poor, it doesn't matter what your country of origin is, if you will trust in Jesus, you will be saved. Matthew chapter 3. Verses 1 through 12, I'm going to read, you can follow along. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust. And wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire." I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and open our minds, illuminate this word to us, that it would change us, that our minds would be changed. Lord, that you would transform us and conform us to the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make us a people, God, who would give witness to your glory in this earth. Make us a people, God, who would shine your light into the dark places and bring hope to the hopeless, life to the lifeless. Father, help us to be a people that would give witness to your salvation in Jesus Christ that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So the message of the kingdom is a message of repentance. This was John's message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist came preaching a message of repentance. This was his cry, but it wasn't just a cry, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
It was a command, and it is a command today. It's the same command that Jesus declared when he took over declaring the kingdom from John. Remember when Jesus was baptized and the, the disciples of John said to him, Hey, hey, John, Jesus and his disciples are baptizing also, and people who were following you are beginning to follow Jesus. What should we do about that? because the disciples of John thought, hey, we've got competing ministries going on here. And John says, no, that's fine. He must increase and I must decrease. John the Baptist had to decrease so that Jesus could increase. And as John the Baptist began to decrease and fade away, ultimately had his head removed by wicked King Herod, Jesus took over the call, the command, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus preached the kingdom. And this is the message of the Messiah, to repent, for the kingdom is at hand. John declared himself to be the one Isaiah prophesied concerning, who would go before and prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist is the forerunner of the Messiah, who would go before him to declare his kingdom and his coming. So Advent is about the coming of Jesus. It's about the coming of Christ. Christ did not come before John. John came first, and John, as the forerunner, declared the coming of the Messiah. He prepared the way for the coming of of the Lord. That's why when we celebrate Advent, when we talk about the coming of the Lord, we can't talk about the coming of the Lord without talking about John the Baptist. Isaiah chapter 40 verses 3 through 5. This is referencing John. John said, this is who I am. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. That means they'll be filled up. And every mountain and hill brought low. That means they'll be made low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So John says, this is who I am. John was out baptizing. He was baptizing Jews. And the religious leaders went out, and they're like, "Hmm, John, why are you baptizing Jews? I can get it if you were baptizing Gentiles, making converts from heathen pagans to Judaism, but you're baptizing Jews. Are you professing to be somebody? And if you are, could you tell us who you're professing to be? And it was a veiled reference to, are you claiming to be the Messiah? Are you claiming to be the one that was promised to come? And John said, no, I'm not the one promised to come. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. I'm the forerunner. I'm the one that's declaring he is here. He is coming. You need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when, when the, the prophet uses this language about valleys being exalted and hills being made low and crooked places being made straight and bumpy, rough places being made smooth, he's not talking about literal valleys and literal mountains or literal crooked places. 
He's talking about the obstacles brought about by sin and death that separated man from God and kept man from seeing God's glory and coming to him. When Jesus references this in the parable, when he says, all you need is faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed to move a mountain, do you know what the greatest mountain that there is to be moved in your life? It is the mountain of your sin. We want to think about all kinds of things. If I just had mustard seed faith, then I can move mountains. Listen, what Jesus is talking about there is your sin, the thing that separates you from God. There is a mountain separating you from God, and there is no way for you to get over it. You can't go around it. You can't get over it. It's too big for you. And between you and God is this mountain that cannot be moved. But Jesus says, if you have a grain of faith, a seed of faith, that seed of faith is what God gives to us. Jesus said just that seed of faith will remove the mountain that's separating you from God. And this is the exact picture we see in Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. This is what the prophet is talking about. Sin and death has separated for us from God. There is a valley too deep and too wide for me to go across. There is a mountain too tall and too wide for me to go around or go over. The place is too crooked. It's too rough. I cannot get to God. Do you realize that? That we cannot get to God. We don't have the capacity to go to God. We don't have the strength. We don't have the will. We don't have the mind. We don't have anything that gives us the ability to go to God. We are so utterly separated from Him. If it weren't for His grace, if it weren't for Jesus... Jesus has leveled the way and made the rough places smooth. He has revealed his glory. And in coming to us, Jesus has now made the way for us to come to him. He exalted the valley. He lowered the mountain. He straightened out the crooked places. He smoothed out the rough places. Jesus has made a level road, a highway, a highway you to come to him. Isaiah, read Isaiah, 66 chapters of Isaiah. It's like a little Bible. Isaiah talks about the highway that God puts us up upon. This is the road. This is the way that Jesus has made for us. John the Baptist declared the coming of the Messiah and the coming of his kingdom. It was not just a promise to the Jews, but to all peoples and all nations, so that all flesh would see it together. Repentance is not only our words. Repentance is a fruit. In other words, repentance is not just what we say. Repentance has to be what we do, how we live. We're not born into salvation. We are born again into salvation. Many of the Jews, these were the guys that went out to John the Baptist. Hey, who are you? Hey, what are you doing? And what was John's response? Oh, good sirs, I'm so glad you've come out to hear my message. No, what did he say? You brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes. Who told you to come out here? I mean... 
Why would he just start out by saying that to them? But that's what he said. Those Jews thought that because Abraham was their father by birth, they were in right standing with God, and John warned them otherwise. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Don't just tell me who you are. Don't just tell me why you're so righteous and you're so holy. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. That was his response to them. And don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, because that's exactly what they said. And John says, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The Pharisees and the Sadducees presumed they were righteous by their birth and by their keeping of the law. They, their presumption was not faith, it was pride, and therefore it was sin. John warned them that their lives must bear fruit worthy of repentance. And the test was not in who they claimed to be, it was in what their life proved them to be. They claimed they believed the word of God, yet throughout their generations they rejected the prophets, killed the prophets, rejected God's word, and by the time Jesus had actually come to this earth, born in that manger, they had built for themselves an empire, and they didn't want anyone, including Jesus, the Messiah, rocking the boat and destroying what they had built. And John was rocking the boat, and they went out to find out what, what exactly was going on. And John called them exactly what they were, a brood of vipers, a bunch of snakes. And he said, you need to show fruits worthy of repentance. And he said, don't presume you're right with God because you claim to have Abraham as your father because God will raise up children from these stones, these rocks around you. God would and God did raise up for himself children of Abraham according to faith, not according to ethnicity, not according to the works of the flesh. The promise of the kingdom is to any and to all who trust in Jesus, Jew and Gentile alike. The warning against presumptuous pride is also to any who trust in Jesus, to Jew and Gentile alike. We see this in Paul's letter to the Romans. So Paul's writing a letter to the church at Rome, and it's a church filled with Jews, and it's a church filled with Gentiles. And he's addressing both. And when he comes and he says, hey, the Jews were cut out of the tree so that you Gentiles could be cut in, could be grafted in. But then he says to the Gentiles, don't you become presumptuous like the Jews were, or God will cut you out just like he did the Jews. So the warning of presumption, the sin of presumption and pride that John gives to the Pharisees is a warning that we also should take for ourselves. The presumption of pride is sinful, and we are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Our boasting is in Jesus, and our lives are to bear the fruit of true repentance. 
In other words, if we are in Jesus and Jesus is in us, then our life, there's something of our life that should demonstrate that, should manifest that, should show that. It's not just what we say. There has to be fruit. John's warning to an unfaithful nation is at the same time a promise to a faithful nation God would raise up for himself by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The warning John gives to that nation is a promise to us today, along with a warning for us today. The faithful are the wheat that will be gathered together. The chaff, what is chaff? It's waste. It has no fruit. It's the waste product of the harvest. It's all the things that don't bring fruit. It's weeds. It's offfall. It's chaff. And what do you do with chaff? Well, a farmer takes his winnowing fan, and he uses that winnowing fan, and he separates the grain from the chaff. He gathers the grain, and he takes it to his barn, and the chaff... He sweeps into a pile and he burns it. That's what he does. The faithful are the wheat that will be gathered together. The chaff is the waste. The wheat is gathered for the fruit it produces. This is what the Father is looking for. This is what the Father desires. Fruitfulness. The Father is glorified in our fruitfulness. Therefore, our lives must bear the fruit of faith. Fruit that is worthy of repentance. Fruit that is worthy of the kingdom. Fruit to God's glory. So repentance is not just, it's not just what I say. So think about, I mean, anyone that's ever been a child, which is all of us, right? It's not just children. Or think about parents when your child is caught doing something they're not supposed to do. And when they know they're caught, what do they say generally? I'm sorry. Now, in that split second, you ask yourself, well, are you sorry you got caught? Or are you really sorry that you you did wrong? And very often, what's happening is, I'm sorry I got caught. I promise I'll never do it again. And and to your knowledge, they will never do it again until what? Until they get caught doing it again. I thought you said you were never going to do that again. Oh, well, I didn't think you were going to catch me again. But when we're truly repentant, so repentance is not being sorry we got caught by God. Repentance is realizing our sin and being sorry that we sinned. That's why repentance isn't just what we say. Repentance is a change in our mind, a change in our heart, which translates into a change in our actions, in the way we live our life. And this is what John meant when he said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, bear fruits consistent with repentance. Bear the fruits of repentance. And this is what God wants from our life, fruitfulness. Because that's how the Father is glorified. In Christ, the Gentiles shall hope. Christ is the hope of all people. 
So this message of repentance wasn't just for the Jews, it was for the world. I think it's one of the amazing things, one of the reasons why John is baptizing these Jews, but it looks like he's baptizing a bunch of Gentiles because it's what they did with Gentiles. But it's a picture that salvation has come to the world. And salvation is not based on my ethnic background or my, my, my ancestry or my birth. Salvation, I'm not born into salvation. I'm born again into salvation. We all have to come to a new creation in order to know that we are saved. We all have to be washed by the blood of Jesus. The washing of water can symbolize my salvation. The washing of water doesn't save me. The washing of water is a sign that I am a child of the covenant, washed by the blood of Jesus. It's the blood that washes me. In the temple, things were cleansed ultimately by blood. That's why the priest was commanded to go in there and take the blood of sacrifice and sprinkle it over everything. And we don't think what that must have looked like. But I'm telling you what, man. When they went in there, they they sprinkled blood on the altar. They sprinkled blood on the ark. They sprinkled blood everywhere because God commanded them. And he said, it is only cleansed by blood. Well, God's not a God of bloodlust. God was showing his people from the very beginning that it is the blood of the lamb and only the blood of the lamb that ultimately can cleanse you. And you're not cleansed because Abraham was your father. You're not cleansed because you can trace your ancestry back to a certain man. You're cleansed because you have been made new in Jesus. And all of these things were symbolic of that, pointing us to that reality. And so Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Paul writes this. He says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. The Bible should give you hope. The Scripture is to give you hope. The things that are in the Scripture are recorded there as examples for us, so that we can learn, so that we can be a people filled with hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may be of one mind and one mouth, glorify God, and I'm sorry, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God For his mercy. Do you realize that's what we're doing today? I don't know if there are any ethnic Jews here today. I think for the most part we would consider ourselves Gentiles. This scripture right here. That the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Do you realize that's what we're doing today? We are glorifying God for his mercy. 
we are here today worshiping Jesus because salvation is not just for the Jews. It's of the Jews. It came through the Jews, but it's not just for the Jews. Salvation is for the world. Jesus was born under the circumcision that the promises of the Father might be enforced, might be seen as real and true. But we are here today glorifying God because those promises are true and because we have found salvation in Jesus, because Jesus has made us new. Because our identity is not who our ancestors were, our identity is in Christ Because if we have been born again, there is now only one new man. It is the man, Christ Jesus. And if you are a new creation, you are of that one new man. And it doesn't matter whether you can trace your lineage back to Abraham or not. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are fulfilling the very thing Paul wrote here that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, rejoice, O nations, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you nations. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, Over the nations, in him the Gentiles, the nations shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what the hope of our nation is? Jesus is the hope of our nation. It says so right here. In him the nations shall hope. Who is going to turn our nation back to Jesus? Who is going to point our nation back to Jesus? Who is going to proclaim to the peoples of our nation that Jesus is the only hope? Point to yourself, because you're the one. Oh, surely not me, Pastor Jeff. Well, if not you, then who? That's why... Jesus left the church in the earth to be his mouthpiece, to proclaim the very same thing that John proclaimed, to proclaim the very same thing that Jesus proclaimed. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's not an old message. That's not an out-of-date message. That is the message for today. Paul, writing to the church, both Jew and Gentile, writes, The things that were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and the comfort of the Scripture, might have hope. God is the God of patience and comfort. Paul prays that God would grant to all believers that they be like-minded toward one another, according to Jesus, that we would have one mind and one mouth, and with that one mind and with that one mouth, we would glorify God. The kingdom of God is diverse, ethnically, culturally, physically. I mean, not everybody gets to have a head like I do. Some of you have hair. I'm sorry. Some are tall, some are short. Some are black, white, brown, yellow, red. It doesn't matter. Some are mixtures of everything. God's kingdom is diverse because God's gospel is for the world. 
But yet, in that diversity, we are commanded to be of one mind and one mouth, glorifying God, giving witness to Jesus Christ. In our diversity, we are commanded to be in unity. We are to receive one another just as Christ has received us. Our unity is to transcend our diversity. It doesn't mean we have to all believe the same thing. We do have to all believe some of the same things. We don't have to believe everything exactly the same way, but there are some things we need to believe exactly the same way. We need to all be in agreement on who Jesus is. We need to all be in agreement on who God is. Is he one God? Is he many gods? Is Jesus God? Is Jesus just a great prophet? Is he just a good man? Those are things we need to be in agreement upon. And the Bible teaches us. And those things, according to the Scripture, we take the Scripture and we say, yes, we believe the Bible. We believe what the Scripture declares. Well, you know, you can just take that part from Matthew on and you can keep that, but everything before Matthew, back to Genesis, you can just rip that out of your Bible because it's not relevant today because we don't live under the Old Covenant. Wrong! We don't live under the Old Covenant. We live under a New Covenant, but all of the Bible, every bit of it from Genesis to Revelation is true and real and relevant for us today. In Jesus Christ, the hope and the joy and the peace of the gospel and his kingdom is for all men by the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes. God's hope and joy and peace are not only general truths about the kingdom. The hope and the joy and the peace that we have in Christ is to be our personal truth and our personal reality. Sunette, God really wants you to have peace about going to South Africa. He wants you to know that you are in his hand. And we can feel anxious and we can feel stressed and we can feel fearful. But at the end of the day, the peace of his kingdom, the reign of his kingdom has to be here in our heart. And we have to know his peace. I might not know how everything's going to be okay, but I have to know that God is sovereign. And if I trust him, I'm going to be okay. Doesn't mean we won't go through difficulty, hardship. But at the end of the day, if I am trusting Jesus, I put my life in his hand and I trust him. It's not I put my life in his hand and I don't do anything. It's I put my life in his hand and I work as hard as I can work. I believe as hard as I can believe. I pray as hard as I can pray. I do all the things that God shows me to do in his word as hard and as diligent as I can. But at the end of the day, remember, you'll never cross that valley on your own. You'll never scale that mountain on your own until God exalts the valley and lowers the hill and makes the crooked place straight. You can't do the impossible. Only he can. His resting place shall be glorious. We read this in the scripture from Isaiah. And the imagery presented there in Isaiah shows us the glorious kingdom of the Messiah. And Isaiah pictures a kingdom ultimately in peace and rest and filled with glory. It's a kingdom that doesn't just encompass a part of the 
earth. It's a kingdom that fills the entire earth and the entire creation. Isaiah presents the promise of the coming king as a shoot that will spring up from the trunk of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. This is a picture of Jesus, the promised branch that will grow out of his root. This is a picture of God bringing his kingdom from death and destruction to life, to flourish and to fill the earth. This promise was fulfilled in the incarnation of Jesus. The promise of the Messiah is still being fulfilled. It wasn't a promise that just was fulfilled. It's a promise that is still being fulfilled. Jesus came, but Jesus is coming again. The kingdom has come, but the kingdom continues to grow and expand. Remember the vision in Daniel? The stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it was cast to the earth, and it was this big rock, but this big rock grew and grew and grew until it took over the whole earth, and it destroyed every other kingdom. That is the kingdom of God. That's what the kingdom of God is doing right now. Don't believe the lie of the media. Don't believe the lie that the world wants you to believe. The gospel is working. The kingdom is growing. Jesus has come, and he will come again. The work of the kingdom, the growth of the kingdom is still taking place. It's still being fulfilled and it will continue being fulfilled until the full and glorious image presented by the prophet will one day fill all the creation. We see Christ come to judge the world in righteous judgment. He slays the wicked with the breath of his mouth. All Christ does, he does The prophet writes, with righteousness and faithfulness. Because he is righteous and he is faithful, he cannot be less. Don't ever wonder if what God promised will really come to pass. He is righteous and he is faithful. It will come to pass. From his righteousness and his faithfulness, we see the peace and the rest that is brought to his kingdom. If we are in Christ, this picture of peace presented by the prophet when he writes that the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And look at this line. And a little child shall lead them. Do you get the picture there? This isn't just a picture of a, of, a, of a wolf and a sheep laying down in this field and a calf and a lion laying. This is a picture of a little child leading wolves and lambs and calves and lions and leopards and goats. He, this little child is leading them. Oh, there's an adder's den. And the little child sticks his hand into the adder's den and pulls out the adder. And carries it as he leads the wolf and the lion and the leopard and the sheep and the goat. If we are in Christ, this picture of peace and rest in the, God, in the kingdom of God is what we are to have reigning in our hearts today. Listen to me, church. It is not because the world is at peace because the world is not yet at peace. It's not because evil has been eradicated, because evil has not yet been eradicated. 
It is that Christ is reigning. And Christ is reigning, not only in heaven, but Christ is to be reigning in our hearts. And if Christ is reigning in our hearts, then he is to be reigning on this earth. And he has not physically set his foot on this earth, but we are here. And Christ is in us. And Christ is our hope of glory. So the peace of the kingdom that reigns in our heart right now reigns in this earth because we are in this earth. When we come to this table in just a couple of minutes, we say Christ is present, not because the bread turns into his body or the cup turns into his blood, but because you are present here and Christ is in you. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. As the waters cover the sea, we are to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And as we are, his peace will cover us and fill us in all things until that day comes when truly they shall not hurt nor destroy in all his holy mountain. That day has not fully come, but it is coming Rest assured, it is coming because Christ is righteous and he is faithful. The day is coming when Jesus shall literally stand on this earth as a banner to all people. He is not literally standing on this earth yet, but he will one day. He is now, through his church though, standing as a banner to all people. You are individually and you are corporately his church. We are called to stand as a banner, giving witness to Christ, standing for all people. The kingdom of God is for all men. It is for all peoples of this world. His kingdom will be proclaimed only as the church of the Lord Jesus proclaims it. We are the mouthpiece of God in the earth. We must make him known. We must proclaim his kingdom loud and clear Yes, with our words, but more than that, we must proclaim it with our lives. One of the ways we make his kingdom known is in coming to this table each week. When we come to this table, we proclaim his death. Paul writes, even until he comes again. That means we proclaim his life. And when we come to this table, we are proclaiming that Jesus is righteous and Jesus is faithful. We are proclaiming that that baby born in the manger some 2,000 years ago is the king who is coming. We are proclaiming that his kingdom has come, his kingdom is here, and the increase of his government and peace has no end. That means it's still increasing. It doesn't matter what the news media says, it doesn't matter what the world events tell us, what the Bible tells us is that the kingdom has come and of its increase in peace there is no end so believe God don't believe the world let his peace let his kingdom reign in your heart and be at rest and know that he is righteous and he is faithful because you will witness it with your own eyes one day when he comes to this earth and he puts the last enemy underfoot And that last enemy is death. And you will see the fulfillment of all of this and more than our little minds can ever imagine. He is the king. He is reigning. His kingdom is here. Let us repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let us pray your will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. So as you trust Jesus, 
You don't have to be a member of Christ Fellowship Church. But if you count yourself a member of the body of Christ, if you are part of the covenant people of God, you are welcome to this table to proclaim his body, to proclaim his blood, to proclaim Jesus the King. Welcome to Jesus. Come to the table. Let's stand. Here's your charge. Our lives must not only bear the fruit of repentance, our lives must bear the fruit of his kingdom. And the fruit of his kingdom is the fruit of his spirit. The fruit of his spirit is the fruit that defines us as belonging to him. And it is the fruit of the spirit that defines his kingdom as reigning in our hearts and reigning in our lives. Verse 10 of Romans, the chapter in Romans, Romans chapter 15. In that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand. I'm sorry, verse 10 of Isaiah 11. In that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. We are commanded to be a people whose lives demonstrate the truth that Jesus is a banner to all people. Our life is to demonstrate and to proclaim that his kingdom and his resting place shall be glorious. We are to live with the assurance that it will be so because he is girded with righteousness and faithfulness. We are to live trusting the promise of his kingdom, its love, its peace, its joy, and its glory. Your life, my life, our life must proclaim the reality of his kingdom. Therefore, it must proclaim the very same message that John came with, that Jesus came with. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen.